Romans, and it kind of diverted me back to the book of Job. And we all have heard bits and pieces of the story of Job. It's like that poor fella, you know. We all know the story of Job, more or less. And uh, so I started reading through the book of Job. And it's funny because, you know, this day and age, a lot of times we stop and we go, wait, what just happened? You know, something chaotic happens, something bad in life comes along, and you stand back and you legitimately look at it and go, how did that happen? What? That just happened? I do it all the time. And some of you guys are probably looking at me like, whatever. But me, myself, I have what just happened moments all the time. And I'm going to give you guys a rundown of... uh, of some of my what just happened moments because the reason I told you that I usually plan out beforehand is when I decided that I was going to do my sermon on that, it was like God decided, hey, Brandon, guess what? I'm going to make you live this before you preach this. And so I'm here to tell you all the last week and a half of my life has been crazy. Um, it started, a lot of you guys know, I, had, I felt like I hadn't, this past Wednesday night I was at church for the first time in a week. And uh, the Wednesday before that was because I was at work I was working in a closet, and I clobbered my hand with a hammer and nearly shattered my knuckle. And so I was in really bad shape about that, hurt really bad. I looked like the Stay Puft Marshall Mellon my, my hand was all swollen up. Or the Michelin Man, for some people who don't know who the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man is. A generational thing, I guess. A lot of our little kids, are, our, our teenagers are going, the what? <laughs> um, but anyway, so my hand swole up, and I, I, you know, I got through that, and that was tough. And uh, then... You know, that was Wednesday, I was off work Thursday, and then Friday I went back to work, but it was extremely painful because I had some things I had to do that I had to use my hand for, so that was rough. Then Saturday, um, you know, there was the whole barely beaten West Virginia football game, which was really detrimental to my spirit, but it got better this weekend, Roll Tide. Anyway, I'm an Auburn fan, if you can't tell, I'm just kidding. But uh, anyway, I try not to bring college football into the pulpit, it's a bad idea with some people. But, uh, but anyway, and so then Sunday morning I wake up, and this is, please nobody look down on me, but I woke up and there were small little worms all over my kitchen floor, and I freaked out, okay? I'm supposed to be here leading worship, and there's worms on my floor, and I'm like, oh my gosh, the first thing you think is, I'm a filthy human being. How does this, that's the first thing that comes to your mind. You can't tell me that you didn't wake up and look on your floor in your kitchen and go, ugh, I'm disgusting. And I know I'm not disgusting. Well, I'm mostly not disgusting. But, but the fact is that there were worms on my floor, so I freak out. We take our kids over to my mom and dad's house. My mom stays home from church, and she watches the kid while my wife and I bleach bomb our entire house. So that happened. Then the next day, my wife wakes up, she goes through her day, gets ready to go to sleep, and she has serious, serious stomach problems. Like, uh, she got a virus, or she's got some, some acid reflux problems. Anyway, all this happens, and two nights in a row, she's up from 3 a.m. on, just sick as she can be. And I've got to get up and go to work, and of course, anyway, needless to say, I feel like I can almost identify with what Job was going through, okay? Because my past week and a half has been crazy. Um, so... A lesson in, the, what, what we're going to start this out with is a lesson in integrity is a very, very hard lesson to swallow, okay? And the reason that that gets drawn in is because when those what just happened moments happen, it is so hard to keep your spiritual fuel burning. Because when you have a what just happened moment, you're going, but God, why? Why? Yeah, I thought I was doing all right. I, you know, I'm, I'm leading worship at church, and I'm teaching the kids, and I'm trying to live a lifestyle that's pleasing unto you. So why is this happening? And so, you know, it, it's a really, really difficult thing to maintain a man or a woman's integrity in Christ 
when things like that happen because you're going, I don't, I don't understand. I don't feel like I, I deserve this. And, and it's funny because the outside world thinks that just because we're Christians, just because, you know, we've confessed that Christ is our Savior, that we don't have those kind of struggles. And it's funny, I, I, I take much pride in explaining to people, my friends that aren't believers, that I, I struggle every bit as much, if not more so, than anybody else that's not saved. Christians deal with the exact same junk. We deal with, in my opinion, and we'll cover this a little bit later, but in my opinion, I feel like we get attacked harder whenever we're trying to live a lifestyle. And I think most of our, a lot of our senior saints would probably agree with me in here. And um, so, you know, you're going, well, okay, you think that I don't deal with problems just because I'm a Christian. Well, no, we still deal with problems, but, but it's like we're under a higher scrutiny, if that makes sense. See, some of you guys understand what I'm saying, but it's, it's like, you know, the world is watching us in a different way than it's watching other people. And I'll give you a perfect example, okay? Let's say that a pop culture icon, I'm not even going to pull any names out of the hat, but let's just say there's this really famous singer, okay, teenager singer named John Jones, okay? If there's anybody in here named John Jones, I apologize. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about a fictitious pop singer. Anyway, but let's just say that John Jones goes out and he gets, you know, really, really drunk and he has an accident and he kills a whole family of people, okay? And it blows up all over the news, but he's a secular pop star. And like it or not, the American culture almost expects that kind of stuff to happen. But let's say somebody like Jeremy Camp, who we just sang a song, Overcome, and God forbid that anything like this ever happened, but let's say that the same situation happened to him. Let's say he had a really, really bad time, something bad happened in his life. He goes out and he has a few drinks, he gets to a car accident, somebody gets hurt. Instantaneously, the whole world is staring at him, telling him how horrible, how horrible of a person he is. So the truth is that the world is watching. The world thinks that we're held to a different standard. And truth be told, we are. That's what holiness is all about. But I heard when I was a teenager, when I was first trying to, to figure out this whole ministry thing, Brother Ron Pierce, the pastor of this church before uh, Stan came along, he told me once, he said, you know, when you're involved in ministry, you live in a glass house. And what he meant by that was that everybody watches everything you say and do when you're a part of a ministry team, when you're a student pastor or a senior pastor or a worship leader or a children's church leader. Everybody's staring at everything you do, and they're watching. And truth is, they're waiting for you to slip. They're waiting for you to make a mistake. That's the world that we live in. So personally, no, I don't think that Christian struggles are any less or greater than the rest of the world, but I think that ours are noticed more. I think that people bring light to our struggles more. And, you know, the scrutiny doesn't stop at just pastors or, or, or youth pastors or Sunday school teachers. The, the observation doesn't stop there because every single person in this room that's accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and they have the bravery to go out and say, I'm a Christian and I don't care what you think about it, instantaneously that puts you under the magnifying lens. Because there's people out there, it's the world we live in, there are people all over the world, all they get up to do in the morning is to disprove the reality of Christ. And if they can find a way to do that by saying, oh, well, you did this, instantaneously, you're not a Christian, you're not a good Christian, and guys, that's where the godless society we live in comes from. And I'm not going to lie and tell you that Christians as a whole haven't dropped the ball. We kind of have. But we're human. And no, it may not seem fair that we're held to that accountability level, but it's just reality. I tell all of my leadership team, my youth leadership team, whenever they start working with us, I tell them, I say, you know, guys, you have to understand something. Right now, 
As you're standing here and you're telling me, okay, Brandon, I agree to be part of this ministry team. I agree to be held accountable as a leader amongst your students. That instantaneously you're saying, all right, I accept the fact that I'm about to be under severe spiritual scrutiny. I, I, I accept that. I'm willing to take that responsibility. And I tell them, if you're not willing to handle that responsibility, or if you don't think that you're capable of that responsibility, then this probably isn't the ministry for you. Because how everybody, as everybody in the room probably knows, teenagers are extremely judgmental when it comes to that stuff. And they'll, they'll look deeper, in, and I'm not being offensive to the teenagers, you guys know me, but the truth is that they're going to look deep on people way more than adults will because they're looking for justification on how they want to live. And so it's just this vicious cycle that starts to spin. Well, we, we talk about all this. We understand, okay, str- Christians are going through struggles. We get that. We understand that we're under severe observation. We get that. And that means that we're going to have to carry a heavy load. We get that. Everybody understands that. So I'd ask you this morning, if you will, turn to the book of Job. And I'm going to give you a little backstory on what we're going to read here in just a second. We're going to go uh, Job chapter 1 from 13, verse 13 to 22. But before we start that, I want to give you a little backstory on who Job is and what's going on with Job. And it's interesting because... When we think of the book of Job, the first thing that comes to our mind is, okay, Job was a guy that got dealt a really, really bad hand, and he had all this terrible stuff happen to him. Some people know some of the the specifics of what happened to Job, but not everybody really understands the whole story. So to start out with, I'm going to give you a little backstory here. To begin with, Job was from the land of Uz. That's U-Z. And he was literally the Bill Gates of his society. Okay, he was the most wealthy man in the entire area, is what the Bible says. And so Job is literally high on the horse, and and not only is he a very wealthy, prosperous man, but he's also something else that the Bible, even Jesus Christ said, is a very difficult thing to pull off. He's a wealthy man that has perfect integrity, that God, God finds no fault in. This guy lived it. Not only did he speak it, but he lived it, okay? It, the Bible says that his kids, he had a seven sons and three daughters. I believe that's right. Anybody, seven sons, three daughters? I think that's right. If it's not, I apologize, but I think it is. And so he had these, he had ten kids, okay? And they would go out and throw these parties all the time because clearly, you know, they're the rich kids, like the Hampton kids or whatever. And they're like, oh, let's spend dad's money and go out and have this big party. So they're throwing these parties all the time. And Job is faithful to get up every single time. And he's offering burnt offerings up to God. And he's saying, God... If there is sin in my children, if there is sin in their nature, God, I'm, I'm asking you to forgive them and cleanse them. Okay? So that's who Job is. Job is a man of perfect integrity according to God himself. And so one day, God's, you know, throwing a hangout party in heaven. He's like, hey, everybody come and hang out in the, you know, cool castle thing that God lives in. Who knows what that looks like? Probably pretty cool. He's like, hey, y'all come over and hang out at the castle and let's, let's talk about God stuff. Okay, cool. So all the angels come and Satan comes rolling in. And he's like, oh, yeah, what's up, y'all? Um, how's it going, God? And God looks at him. And, you know, I don't know if God actually has a face. I like to think God has a face. But then again, that's me humanizing God. But if God does, in fact, have a face, I would have loved to see the look on it when Satan just came rolling in. And God was like, it's like that guy that's always coming around asking you for money. You know, and ever soon as he walks in the door, you want to be a jerk, but you're like, he's back. So I imagine that's kind of the look that was on God's face when Satan came walking in. He said, God says, where have you been? And he said, I've been, you know, flying around the earth, checking things out, seeing how things were going. He said, really? Well, while you were doing that, did you observe my servant Job? 
He's a man beyond all fault. And so God and Satan get into this interesting debate about whether or not Job's integrity is real or whether it's just a product of his success. And, you know, Satan is the advocate for he's only a, a man of, of good intentions and, and great integrity because you've got, he's got it easy. You've given it to him. You've given him everything. And God seems to think that Job would, you know, have perfect integrity even if God took all, or Satan took all that stuff away. So they start the game. And that's where we begin in verse 13. So I want you guys to pay close attention to this because it's, it's what I call the ultimate bad day. The ultimate what just happened moment. In verse 13 it says, One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job's home with news. Your oxen were plowing with the donkeys, feeding beside them. When the, the Sabaeans raided us, they stole all the animals and killed all the farmhands. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and all your shepherds. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. When he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived with this news. Three bands of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels and killed your servants. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's home. Suddenly, a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed and all your children are dead. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. Job stood up and tore his robes in grief. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. I want everybody to pay close attention to that sentence. He fell to the ground to worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken away. Praise the name of the Lord. And all this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Guys, it's so easy to blame God. Is it not? I can tell you, honestly, in my heart I know that there have been extremely bad situations that have happened in my life that I, I blame God for. Whenever I went through one of the hardest struggles in my entire life, I sat in Stan's office and I sat right across from him and I told him, I said, I don't get this, this isn't fair. This isn't right. He said, I, I, you know, he, he told me, he said, Brandon, you're, you're sitting here trying to justify life, but the fact, the fact is that life isn't fair. He said, you have to understand that you're not mad at the circumstance, you're mad at God. You're mad at God because you think God let this happen. You think that God just came in here and wiped the floor with you. And the truth be told, I mean, if we're being honest, I was. It's easy to stand up and say, I don't blame God. It's easy to stand up and try to pretend and show people that you have integrity so you can maintain a persona. But if the, truth is, the, the truth is when you go to bed at night and you close your eyes and you see the fact that you feel like God has wronged you, that's what's in here. That's where integrity actually lies. Because God sees our heart. God's not paying attention to what's coming out of our mouth so much as he knows what's going on in here and in here. And the fact of the matter is that it's extremely easy to blame God for the bad stuff that happened. But, but Job understood that his integrity was what set him apart from other people. This guy fell on his knees after his, all of his riches, all of his cattle, and all the, the, the stuff that was really important back then. Essentially, it would be like him losing his house and his car and his kids and his wife and his, well, his wife was still with him. And, and, but all these things, imagine all these things happening to you at one time, okay? Just literally within a period of 15 seconds. 15 seconds, everybody walks in the door and says, by the way, all this stuff's gone. 
your house got burnt to bits, insurance company won't, won't handle it, so you're out of a house, the car got set on fire from the heat of the house, and all your kids were in the house. They all died. Okay, to me, that is an ultimate what just happened moment. It doesn't get a whole lot worse than that. I mean, that's, that's pretty bad. As a parent, the fact that he lost all of his children, that makes it bad enough at one time. I mean, it's terrible. Any parent in this room would say that. But the fact that he lost everything else, the man literally could have easily said, why God? Why would you do this when I am literally doing everything I can to live a life that's pleasing to you? I, you know, I even offer up and ask forgiveness for my children. And you just took them away. Why? It's that ultimate what just happened moment. But the Bible says that he fell to his knees and worshipped. He said, naked did I come into this world and naked will I leave. He gives and takes away. We sang that this morning. That's one of the main reasons that I wanted our praise team to learn that song this week. Was because those words, he gives and takes away, we completely take the... We have such a tendency of thinking that if God's not giving us blessings, that God's just not being fair. And don't anybody in this room tell me that you haven't felt that way at some point in time. Because we all do. We're saying, okay, I'm teaching Sunday school, and I'm, you know, I'm baking cookies for the 911 ministry, and I'm setting up fall festivals for the church... I'm doing all this good stuff, and I'm doing everything I can to live a life that's pleasing unto God. And then this happens. Then this, this terrible, terrible thing happens. Sometimes we feel like a skinny kid with a pocket full of lunch money. And you know, I, I thought about that a week, a, week, a week or so ago, and I added it into my notes. And say, so, you know, sometimes I really do. I feel like that alfalfa-looking kid from the Little Rascals just walking through the schoolyard with a pocket full of lunch money, waiting for that bully to come up and start beating the tar out of me. And that's, that's all Satan is. He's a bully. He proved it right here in the book of Job. He said, oh, yeah, well, I bet you I can make him shake. Watch this. So he swoops in and he starts doing all this terrible stuff. And, guys, the story gets progressively worse and worse and worse. Poor Job got his rear end kicked so bad that I don't know how he bounced back from it. The guy spends literally an entire chapter of the book saying that he wished he'd never been born in extreme vivid detail. I mean, it's, it's to the point that, that he says, you know, honestly, if my dad never would have even met my mom, life would probably be better right now because I can't believe that I even exist. This is so bad. That's a pretty bad situation. I guarantee you that that's exactly what Job felt like. He felt like a skinny, tiny, defenseless kid with a big old pocket full of quarters in the schoolyard just waiting for those vultures to surround him and come in and beat him up and take it away. So, why did that just happen? Why, why, why would God let this stuff happen? Why would God allow Job to go through all this hardship and all this sorrow when he was a man that was living right? Well, it, you know, we have such a bad tendency of humanizing everything. We, we do. I do. I know I do. I, I do it on a daily basis. But it, it occurs to me that when I start doing the right thing and I start living right and I start trying to, to, to praise God with my life and with my actions and with my money, when all that starts to happen, that's when Satan starts paying attention. And that's when he starts saying, oh, that guy. It, the Bible says that Job was a man that God himself would say had perfect integrity, okay? There's, there can't be a whole lot more than one guy like that in the, play, in the world that he was living in. Just like Noah was the only good man when the flood came along. So, you know, Satan's 
flying around the world. He's looking at all this stuff, and he's zooming around, and he's checking people out. What does he do? He singles this guy out. Why did he single Job out? Because he was living right. Because he was doing the right thing. Guys, we're going to get attacked whenever we start trying to do the right thing. When we start trying to make strides towards Christ in our life, when we start impacting people's lives, when we start actually mattering to our family and to our friends and to our community, that's when we're going to get attacked. No questions asked. And when attacks come, it seems unending. I know that some of us have gone through stints in our life, and some of us may actually still be going through those stints. I know a few people... Uh, that they're my close personal friends, that they, they, they're saying, man, this is never going to end. It's never going to stop. This is just one punch right after the other. I feel like Holyfield and Tyson gloves off fight night, and it just won't stop. I mean, it's bad. It feels like there's no end to it, and it feels like we're continuously being tested, and we're being tried, and we're being, we're being just built and remade, and, and it feels like such a painful process. So... We can't see the end of the tunnel. We can't see what's supposed to happen next. So that's when we start to get really angry and we say, I can't believe God just let that happen. And you can go ahead and pump those next slides up, Mary. So we say, I can't believe that God would allow that to happen. And so we adopt a mindset that things can never get any better than they are right now. Now, I see this in teenagers all the time, but adults are guilty of it too. I catch myself doing it all the time of saying, oh my goodness, life will never get any better. This is, you know, we, we have this, this terrible, terrible problem with depression and, you know, uh, teenagers are, are doing the whole self-harm thing nowadays because they're trying to find a way to cope with what's going on. And, and honestly, I actually preached, preached a message to our students about that a couple weeks ago that, you know, our society as a whole has given them an image that they don't feel like they can feel, and when they don't feel like they can feel that, they turn to other things. But, but the truth of the matter is that when we're in those places, those dark, painful, difficult places, we have a tendency of saying, this is it. This is as good as it gets. It's like, I'm 30 years old on a dead-end job with a wife who doesn't really care about me. My kids couldn't care any less whether I'm here or not, and it's never going to get any better. I'm going to die a lonely, sad, unhappy person, and that's just it. But, but the, the funny thing is that we take the future away from God. We do. We, we say, it's never going to get any better than this, but what we're really saying is, God, you're not capable of letting it get any better than this. God, you're not able to make my life better. God, you're not able to fix my problems. God, you're not able to give me a happy marriage. God, you're not able to make my finances come through and work. We're taking the power of God away from God. We're humanizing him. It's exactly what I was talking about earlier. Even Job himself, this, this man of incredible integrity, he says in Job 3.23, he says, Why is life given to those with no future? Those God has surrounded with difficulties. Guys, even this man of perfect integrity, God himself said, was an upstanding, upright guy, still said, it's never going to get any better than this. This is just, how do you, how do you bounce back from this? I mean, what do I do? Just go out and have ten more kids? Why don't I go out and amass all these other cows and female donkeys and stuff that I had? I'm supposed to just start building all that back again? It's such a, a laborious idea and thought that I'd rather just sit here. And the Bible says that his buddies came to visit him and he sat there. They sat with him. You know, they, they ripped their clothes and they put ashes on them and mourning for him. And they just sat there for seven days. 
without saying a word. How many of you would say, I'm not going to ask you to show your hands, I know there's a few of us in here, but, but in your heart, say, how many of you would say, when you get really, really frustrated about something, really, really defeated, really upset, just completely withdrawn from everything, all you want to do is go get in your bed, pull the covers over your head, and say, I'm not coming out today. My mom calls me all the time, I can pick on her because she's not here, but, uh, but my mom, she'll call me, and I try to talk to my mom at, at least every day, every other day, and I'll call her and we'll talk for a few minutes, and I'll say, how you doing, how you feeling today, because my mom has... Uh, fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome, so she gets, you know, kind of, I'm not going to use the word dumpy, but she gets sad and kind of defeated sometimes because there's so many things she wants to do that she's not able to do. And, you know, my mom's one of my heroes. God, God's honest truth. My mom and my dad are both two of my biggest role models. But, you know, I just, I hate it for her. But she gets that feeling of just, you know, it, it's not going to get any better. It's, it's just rough. And I say, well, are you, are you okay? Are you going to be able to bounce back? She said, yeah, I'll bounce back. I'll be fine tomorrow. But today, I really just want to crawl in bed and go back to sleep. There's a lot of days that I wake up and say, I just want to crawl in bed and go back to sleep. This is not fun. Today is not stacking up. I think for the last week and a half, I'd have been okay being like a bear who hibernated through the last week and a half. We'd just clear that off the board, be done with it, and, and that would be just fine with me. But we don't really get that option. So we have to learn to let go of what just happened. We have to learn to disconnect, stop humanizing God, stop telling God it's his fault, okay? stop blaming God for all this bad stuff that happened, and just let it go. Yeah, the, the, uh, the ladies' ministry were doing a, a book series not that long ago. I know Miss Vicki loves the book. It's called What's Amazing About Grace. And, and what's so amazing about grace is the capability for us to let go of the wrongs that have been done to us and show grace. Why do we show grace? Because God shows us grace. Everybody in this room right now needs to understand that if we treated other human beings like God treated us, all the bad stuff would stop. Because no matter how many times we mess up, no matter how many times we make mistakes, no matter how many times we do dumb stuff and we sin all over the place and it just looks like a big old sloppy mess, God says, it's okay. I love you. We're going to get through this. You may have to deal with some consequences, but we're going to get through this because I love you. So what's so amazing about grace is the capability of letting go of what just happened. Now, it's not God's fault, so we've got to stop blaming him. And it's, you know, sometimes it's our fault, sometimes it's other people's fault. But I can promise you this right now, it's not benefiting anybody in the equation if you just stay mad about it and you just keep hanging on to it. Bad stuff happens. <laughs> I had a a different title that I was playing around with whenever I first created this sermon. I first started going through it, and I've shared it with a few of my close friends. And I said, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll just suffice to say that, you know, in a Christian walk, junk happens. You know, it's kind of like that old, um, that old catchphrase, stuff happens, get over it. I, my, one of my fun things that I tell the guys at work is I say, look, you have to put your carpentry skills to work, build a bridge, and get over it. <laughs> Let it go. Because it's not doing anybody any good to hang on to it. So, every day may not be good, but it will be rewarding. And, and what's really, really interesting about that is I was digging around trying to find a scripture that really linked into that and kind of made the point. And, and this one just, it showcases it in a beautiful, beautiful way. And it's, uh, it's Romans 5, 3 through 4. And uh, you don't have to turn there because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blast through it really quick. But it says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confidence and hope of salvation. Guys, that's it in a nutshell right there. Why do bad things happen? 
I'll give you a good my life example. When I came back from camp uh, back in May, I told everybody, I said, you know, I was running with some of those really healthy, fit guys, and I just started to feel old and, like, creaky, and I just hated it. So I said, okay, in 2014-15, between camp this year and camp next year, I'm going to get in shape, and I'm going to get fit, and I'm going to learn how to exercise and eat right, and I'm going to drop some pounds, and I'm going to start living right for myself so that I can keep up with these teenagers. Dumb motivation, but hey, whatever works, right? Because I, hey... Two months after uh, we got back from camp, I dropped 16 pounds. So, I mean, I started doing it. And, and the first time, my wife got on this big running kick for a while. And she said, you should run, you should run. I hated running in high school, playing soccer. I don't know why I played soccer, because I hate to run. But I hated running in high school. And I'm saying, you know, there's nothing that leads me to believe that it's going to be any better now than it was 15 years ago. So one day she finally talks to me and she gets me off the couch. And she says, all right, there's an app you can download. And you can go out and you can run to this app. Okay, and so I got out, and I went for a run, and I ran when the app told me to run, I walked when the app told me to walk, and thank God for the times that the app told me to walk, because if not, I'd had a heart attack and died, truth, absolutely, Miss Victoria knows, because she just started doing it recently, she's like, <gasps> yes, but, but, but the fact of the matter is that it was painful, I'm not going to lie, like, it, I was a six foot two, 200 pound man walking back into my house, sweating like a baby, going, I'm going to die. And I thought I was going to die. And I think I only ran like a mile. I mean like a mile and a quarter or something. It was pitiful. It was absolutely pitiful. And, and so I'm going, this is miserable. This is absolutely terrible. But I kept thinking back to what the guys at camp told me. They said, you know, after the first two weeks, it'll start to get better. And you'll start to be able to increase your distance. And you won't feel so winded. And, you know, I, I've given my testimony a handful of times up here. And a lot of you guys know where I came from. But I smoked for a really long time. And so that, that old smoker's lung still kicks up sometimes. You're trying to run, you're like, <laughs> I mean, it's terrible. And so, you know, it, it was a struggle. So the first couple days, I fought through it, and I fought through it. And, you know, after about the third day, I'm going, I'm not doing this anymore. This is terrible. This is absolutely horrible. I don't want to do it anymore. But my wife kept patting me on the back. She kept telling me, and I mean, the scale was looking okay. You know, I dropped a couple pounds. We we're trying to eat healthier. And I said, okay, I'm going to keep pushing through and the crazy thing is that day after day got a little easier and got a little easier and I got a little stronger and I got a little leaner and I started to notice my love handles were disappearing, which was glory, hallelujah, because that is the worst. I, oh, I hated the love handles. It was bad. And so I'm going, God, if you could just make this go away, we'll be gold. And, and hey, he was like, well, you've got to get rid of this because I can't miraculously do it. So... You know, it's like praying for plastic surgery, I guess. That just wasn't going to happen. So, you know, I got out there, and I started running, and it started coming off. And everybody in the room who's ever exercised in their whole life knows that when you see results, it motivates you to keep going, and you keep getting more and more excited. Okay, now, with that analogy in place, I want us to listen to this verse one more time. I want to read this one more time, and I want everybody to pay very close attention to what it says. It says, We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confidence and hope of salvation. There you go. That's why you're dealing with trials. It's like running. It gets hard. And sometimes you feel like run keeper is never going to tell you to start walking. Sometimes you feel like that three minute run period is just not going to stop. I know there's been times whenever, because it steps up. 
like in, in, in steps. It goes up. So the first week you walk this much and run this much. Then the next week you run a little more. And the next week you run a little more and walk a little less. And so as it progresses, there's sometimes you're going, the three minutes is never going to be over. And you're hobbling and you're struggling. And you're wondering when it's going to end. But eventually, at some point, there's that magical little voice on your headphones that's going to go, begin walking. And you're going to go, okay. And then you're just going to limp for a little while and hold your side and then you're going to feel a little bit better. And then you're going to start walking with some confidence. And then the next time it tells you to start running again, you're going to start running just like you did the first time. It builds endurance and strength of character for our hope in salvation. Strength is in our faith when our faith is in Christ. Period. The more faith you have, the stronger you are. And yeah, the harder the, the darts that the devil's going to throw you at you are going to be, the more they're going to sting. But the fact of the matter is that we're running a marathon here. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And the stronger we get, the more we can take. And the more we can take, the more others see us taken, and they start asking questions. And when they start asking questions, we're able to share Christ with them. So yes, bad stuff happens, but God is in control. And we have to show with our lifestyle that we believe that. Now, that's hard. That's hard. That's going right back to what we started, started with initially. When you smash your hand with a hammer, and then your football team barely pulls it out when you've had a ton of confidence in them, and then you wake up the worms on the floor, and then your wife's sick and you feel terrible for her. When all that stuff happens, that's tough. It's tough. I know it is. I promise, I do. But if I would have given up and said, God, why are you doing this? This is your fault. I blame you. I don't know why you would let all this stuff happen when I'm trying to get a message together to go preach people about you. Hmm. When you say that, it, it blows the entire point. You miss the entire point. Because the point was that we're running a marathon. We're not sprinting. And if bad things happen to us, also, how many people, I, I want to show our hands. How many people in this room would share, raise their hand and say, I've heard the phrase, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. We've all heard it. There's songs about it. I've heard them on the radio. It's kind of funny, but it's true. And in some circumstances, they say, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And, and then I've heard my, fr my cynical friends say, unless it's blood loss, in which case it will eventually kill you. And I say, well, that's a really positive way of looking about it. Yay, team. But the fact of the matter is that what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. That's almost biblical because it's God saying, okay, yeah, bad stuff's going to happen. Yeah, trials are going to come along. Yeah, you're going to wake up with worms on your floor and feel like a disgusting person. But the fact of the matter is that I'm building you for something better. I'm training you to carry somebody else's burdens. Because you know what? If, if somebody came walking up to me next week and they said, man, you're not going to believe this. I got worms on my floor. and be like, hey, don't worry about it. I read the, the Wikipedia. I know what they are, and I can help you out. Okay, you know why that happened to me? So that maybe one day when somebody comes along and says, I got worms on my floor, I can say, I got the answer, brother. It's some bleach and getting rid of the cereal in your cabinet. That's it. Piece of cake. Actually, in my case, it was a spice rack that was about five years old. Don't judge me. But the fact of the matter is that it was just a bad scenario. Okay, these things were in a little spice bottle that cracked. And when it cracked, they came out. And I mean, it had nothing to do with, you know, anything else. So it, it, that, that's the point is that God is in control, and we have to acknowledge that with our lifestyle. So I'm going to take one of the most played-out verses in the history of ever, and we're going to read it because it applies. It's applicable, okay? And we're going to put it here because this is what happens when we stop humanizing God. 
when we stop taking the control of the future away from God. And it's Jeremiah 29, verse 11. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you, and I will bring you home to your own land. Guys, at this point, if I'm not mistaken, the Israelites were captured by Babylon, and they were being extremely mistreated, and life was just really bad. Okay, They were in bad shape. And they kept thinking that, that it was the end. They kept saying, this is it. We're going to be stuck here for another 600 years. You know, it's just like Egypt all over again. And so they're all having these terrible demoralizing thoughts. And that's when God sends this word to him and he says, I know the plans I have for you. Stop thinking that you see the big picture because you don't. I know the plans I have for you. And they are plans for good, not for bad. So yes, you're going to deal with some trying times. Yeah, you're going to be enslaved for a little while. Yeah, you're going to have worms on your floor. Yeah, you're going to almost crush your hand. Yeah, your marriage is going to go through hard times. Yeah, you're going to struggle with addictions and alcohol. You're going to struggle with all these things. There's you know, going to be things, bad things that happen to you. Okay? I'm just trying to cover a general blanket here with folks in the room that are going, man, i got bad stuff going on. And 90% of the people in this room have bad stuff going on. And I'm not trying to, to take away from your situation. Okay, some of us may be going through trials that just seem unending. But the fact of the matter is that God is strengthening us for something greater. God is strengthening us to be the person he's called us to be. I went through years of godless junk in my life because I thought that I was the one that was supposed to handle it and I took God out of the equation. I went out and I did my own thing and I handled it Brandon's way and it went, that was it. There was no getting any better. It was garbage until I stood or knelt right here at this altar. And I said, God, I can't do this. I'm done. I give up. I fold, white flag, all that good stuff. I can't. Since that day, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that my life's been perfect. I will say that it's gotten better. My relationships have gotten better. My, my relationship with my wife has improved a hundredfold. No questions asked. My, my relationship with my kids has become better. My relationship as a son has become better. My relationship as a Christian, as a friend, as a co-worker, has gotten better. I had the opportunity to teach your, your young, your, your teenagers. Yeah, I know, nobody freak out. <laughs> but the fact is that God gave me that through no work of my own. I didn't deserve that. God did that. God said, Brandon, you're going to go through the, the proverbial fire and flames here for a while, and I'm going to let you go on this crazy roller coaster ride of crazy garbage, and eventually... It's going to get you tested, tried, and stamped on an approval to where you can step up and handle this next stage of your life. And guys, I don't know what the future holds. I don't know where I go from here, and that's okay. I'm not worried about that. What I'm worried about is making sure that these young people and everybody in this congregation understands the mercy and the grace and the love of the Father who saved us. That's what's important to me. Not next year and how much money I'm going to make. And that brings me to my last point. It's a tattoo that I've seen people get and I've seen it in books, and I've seen it on websites, and I've never really taken into consideration how much truth it holds. But the phrase is, let go and let God. In other words, let go of what just happened and let God handle it. Because you're incapable, number one. Okay, this is not your territory. You're not the one that's going to fix your broken marriage. You're not the one that's going to get rid of that alcohol addiction. You're not the one that's going to drop 
all the, the profanity or the pornography addictions that you're dealing with, you're not the one that's going to get rid of that. You've got to let it go and let God handle it, period. Stop humanizing him and understand that he's a supernatural creator of perfect love and grace who cares what happens to you and can fix it. So stop trying. Stop trying it on your own. Let God handle it. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that the, the last week and a half hasn't been a struggle. And I'm not going to lie to you and tell you there haven't been moments when I was on my knees in my living room early in the morning before the rest of my house was up in the dark crying and telling God, God, why am I dealing with all this stuff? Because there's way bad stuff going on in our lives all the time, even outside of worms and shattered hands. Period. There just is. And I'm not going to tell you there weren't moments that I wasn't on my knees crying and asking God why that had to happen. But God's led me through a really interesting path in my life. And if you haven't heard it, I'd be glad to tell you sometime. But the fact of the matter is that I've gone through some twists and turns that I wouldn't wish on anybody else. Period. And here I stand. I stand in a pulpit of the church I grew up in, able to bring the word of Jesus Christ to you guys. I don't deserve that. Just for anybody in the room who doesn't know, I've never been to seminary. I haven't been to Bible college. I don't deserve to be here. I don't. I shouldn't be. But by the grace of a God who loves me, by the grace of his son who died for me, by grace that kept me from waking up in a, a fiery pit in hell this morning, I get to stand here and offer his grace and mercy to you. That's a blessing. So I count my loss as gain. It's been tough. Sometimes it's not fun. But the truth of the matter is I was being melded into something greater, and I thank God for it no matter how hard it was. Let's pray. Father God, this morning,